Good morning. I'm glad you're here. And whether I'm in the building or not, we have a fantastic message for you. I believe God has just allowed us the opportunity to be able to come together for this moment for such a time as this, as Scripture would say. And so this morning, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the, this, this particular question. What do you do when you are in a crisis you cannot control and from which you cannot escape? Now today we don't have all the lower thirds and we don't have handouts for you. We don't, we don't have all our normal stuff. We're going old school today. Uh, old school as video will allow us to. <laughs> We're going old school where you're just going to have to take out a piece of paper and be ready to write some notes as you feel things are important for you to remember and take away. But every one of us can relate to the idea of being in a crisis that we can't control and from which... We cannot escape. We, we've all been there at one point or another, and Scripture tells us a story that kind of leans into that. It's the story of the wedding at Cana. Cana was the town that Mary and Jesus and the disciples, they all attended a wedding there. They were, they were invited, and it seemed like everything was, was going good until all of a sudden Mary kind of, at least this is how I picture it, she, she sees the little commotion going on with with the servants and with the wedding planner and those involved. And so she made her way over there to them and is kind of like, hey, what's going on, guys? What's happening? What's all the fuss about? And maybe kind of sheepishly, the wedding planner lets Mary know, we've run out of wine here at the wedding. Now, in our day and age, that would, be, that would mean one thing, but in their day, it was a catastrophe. It was, it was the worst thing ever. It meant that they were not prepared for the people. It meant that they didn't plan well. It, it really, in the culture of the day, this was an absolute disaster, a huge problem. But Mary didn't walk away from the problem Mary didn't say, well, I'm glad, that, I'm glad it's your problem and not mine. No, she decided to do something about it, and things got really interesting from there. In fact, I'll tell you that if you, if you really want your life to be interesting and if you don't want to be bored anymore, find a problem and decide that you are going to fix it. I promise you things will get interesting in your life. But with Mary, what she did was she took that wedding organizer, wedding planner, and she marched that person right over to Jesus. Jesus, and in essence, she said to him, hey, what are you going to do about the problem? How are you going to fix this problem? And Jesus responded to her, and in the Greek, he gives the general uh, statement of nothing. If you have kids, you, you've heard that before. You say something like, hey, what are you doing? Nothing. Hey, where are you going? Nowhere. Hey, who are you talking to? nobody. It's like they're involved in something or they're engaged in some way and you want to know what it's about and you want to know how and why and you want to be a part of it, but their response is generally no, just simply no. And Jesus in essence tells his mother, no, I'm not going to do anything about it. But Mary interestingly does not take offense to that or say anything negative about it. In fact, she does not reference Jesus at all again in the story. She doesn't talk to him again. The scripture says she just turns to the servants and she says in John chapter 2 verse 5, do whatever he tells you. 
So he just said, I'm, I'm not doing anything. And she says, do whatever he tells you. It's just like a mama to do that. But I want us to look at the different characters in the story here. First, you have Mary. Mary is a guest at this wedding. She's been invited and she showed up. Then you have Jesus. Jesus is a guest as well, but it almost appears that Jesus is kind of like a tag-along guest. But he didn't just tag along with his mama. He also brought 12 of his friends. So here's Jesus and his 12 friends coming along to the wedding with Mary. The scripture says in John 2 verses 1 and 2, Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. It kind of, it kind of, makes me think that maybe they were kind of the afterthought that well if, if they have to come to okay but they're there they're at the wedding and they're guests then you have the master of the feast this is the one that's running the show he's like the master of ceremonies if you will maybe maybe didn't have a lot to do with setting up the wedding but it was his job to manage the wedding process. And this could be up to three to five days worth of ceremony. So this was a, a very prominent and important position. Then you had the host. This is the one who's organized it. We would call them the wedding planner today. And so they've organized this wedding, made sure everything was as it's supposed to be, and so on. And then you had the servants. The servants. And the servants are the ones that I really want to focus on today in this sermon. And, and I think the servants are really the ones that you and I can most relate to. They served the wine involved here. In fact, they were probably the ones who revealed to the wedding host, hey, we've run out of wine in this situation. Now, we know that Jesus is always the focus of the story. But in many ways, the servants here are the unsung heroes they they they've they've told the wedding host that we don't have the the wine anymore we've run out of wine the the host then tells mary mary then talks to jesus jesus has now been directed by his mama to talk to the servants and and in all of this the servants really don't have any active part they they don't have a way they're not making a decision they're not they're not doing anything they're serving in this situation they're they're not making the choices but they are affected by the choices we don't even know their names but we know that they are being affected by the outcome of this story so they're in a unique place a difficult place they're in a crisis that they're not responsible for that they cannot control but they also cannot escape they can't just walk away and the struggle that we have as humanity is that when we get into these tight places, we often try to force something to happen. We try to make it work, try to make it happen. In fact, we have a phrase concerning this. We say that necessity is the mother of invention. What we're saying is that it, when we get in this tight place and we don't have the answer and we can't get out of the tight place that we're in, we start inventing a way to get out of the problem, whatever that may be. So these servants have no control. They cannot escape. But how can they invent some way to get out of this problem? What, what could they create all of a sudden? And you may be in that proverbial catch-22 in your life right now. You, you might really relate to where the servants are. You didn't choose to be in the situation that you're in, but you're in it. 
and you can't get out of it. Maybe you didn't cause the problem, but you really can't solve it either. Maybe it's a, a, a job with a great company that you know is having difficulty. Even great companies can have difficulties at times. Maybe you have a child that's headed in the wrong direction and, and you know the likely result, but you can't change their choices and unfortunately you also can't stop caring about them. Uh, you can't even distance yourself from their situation because they're your kid. You, you can't stop caring about them. You can't say, well, it doesn't matter anyway. I wash my hands of it. I'm out. Because you love them. Maybe you're a younger person and you're, you're watching your parents walk away from one another. It seems like divorce is inevitable. But you can't, you can't stop caring about your parents. You can't stop loving your parents. You can't stop hoping and praying that they will come back together and that things will be okay. You're in a situation where you have no control and also you cannot escape. The servants are in the middle of this crisis. And so to answer the question, how to handle this moment in your life, you have to first identify who you are in the story. Because many of us, we want to feel like we're in an, a position other than the one we really are in. We, we misidentify ourselves in order to feel better. We say things like, I'm the boss, or I'm the champion, or we, we change the definition of words in order to be able to make ourselves feel better about who we are and how we're operating. So the person that has the anger issues... They, they say, well, other people make me angry. They don't, they don't take responsibility for the anger. They say, no, if other people wouldn't do this and that, then I wouldn't be angry. Or how about the person with the grown child that is causing constant drama? They, 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 they keep saying, well, I'm going to cut them out. I'm going to cut them off. I'm, I'm not going to let them mess up my life like this anymore. But, but they don't. They, they continue to fuel and... and allow that drama to, to mess with their life. Maybe even not allowing their child to grow up and to feel full maturity because they always have an excuse as to why, why they haven't let that child deal with their own problem, their own dilemma. These aren't bad people. No one I'm speaking about here is, is bad. None of these illustrations are because someone is bad as an individual or their character is flawed. It, 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 they're just not in control. You can't control what your child's doing. You can't control what the company has done. You, you can't control what the economy is doing. You can't control what everybody around you is, is dealing with. And so you have no control in the situation. You feel bad. You feel horrible. So we misidentify ourselves. We say, well, wait a minute. I'm the boss. But, but if you were the boss, you might could just command your way out of the situation. If you were really the boss of it all, then you could, you could just say, it's going to be different. And it would be. If you were the controller or the wedding organizer, you might just buy your way out. Send some servants down to the, the local store and, and buy more wine. Just buy your way out of the situation because, hey, you, got, you made a profit on the wedding and putting it all together. Now, now you can buy your way out of the situation. If you're a guest like Mary or Jesus, you can just walk out. You don't have to stay at the wedding. 
You can walk out of the wedding and, and not have to worry about it all. Just distance yourself from the situation. Go home and eat some pizza. You would just be fine. But if none of these actions are options for you, you've just identified yourself in the story. If you cannot command your way out, buy your way out, walk your way out, you are the servant in the story. Everyone serves somewhere at some point. We're all servants in some way or another. In fact, servanthood isn't bad. It's good. And Jesus says that if we are not servants, we cannot become leaders in his kingdom. If we want to advance in his kingdom, we must learn to be good servants in his kingdom. Mark chapter 9, he said that he sat down. He called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. So if you, if you want to advance in the kingdom of God, there has to be a willing servanthood spirit upon your life. You, you must willingly take up the role of the servant. So being a servant is not a negative thing. And in fact, that is the only way to move through the crisis of life for a servant. For a servant, you, you cannot buy your way out. You cannot command your way out. You cannot walk your way out of the crisis when you're a servant. The only thing to do is to serve your way through the crisis. It's the only thing to do. The only thing the servants could do was to follow the command of Christ. He said, this is what you must do. And that was their only choice. Before Jesus started talking to them, the only thing they could do is follow the words of Mary. Do whatever he says to do. And so in my mind's eye, I see them swiveling their head from Mary to Jesus and just kind of staring at him and waiting on him to say something. And then he begins to tell them what they needed to do. You might be trying to come up with a way to pay a bill that you don't owe. You, you might be trying to figure out a way to help solve a problem that someone else caused. You might even be able to be try, you might even be trying to solve a problem for which you don't have all the information. It's all put out there for you, but you don't know everything involved. So there's no way for you to know, even if you have all the knowledge needed to make a good decision in this situation. Now, Jesus is talking and, and it's their responsibility to follow his commands. Following the commands of Jesus sounds like it ought to be easy. I mean, he just says something and you do it. He just says, do this and you do what he says. But it's not that easy. It's not that easy at all because it's, it's hard enough at times to follow a command that you understand. For instance, the command is on this road, go 45 miles an hour. But how many times, now be honest here, how many times are you not going 44, 45 miles an hour when you know what the command is? It's very clear, it's understandable. In fact, you had to pass a test to be able to even have the driver's license allowing you to get in that car and drive down that road. It's not always easy to follow a command that you understand. 
Because you have your own thoughts, you have your own ways of thinking about things, you, you have your own ideas about how things should work and how things shouldn't work. And so you're, you're saying 45 miles an hour, I'm looking around me, I don't see anybody else on the road, I don't know, I don't see anybody else coming, so it's perfectly safe for me to do 95 miles an hour down this road, even though the law says 45. I understand the problem, I just have different ideas about it. But it's even more difficult when you to follow a command that makes no sense at all. I, I, when, when the command makes no sense, how do you follow that? How do, how do you work in that? But the place of a servant, and this is key, it's a key understanding for us as the, the children of Almighty God, the place of a servant is to follow the command with or without understanding the command with or without understanding the command with or without no the video is not skipping i am just saying it repeatedly it is important that we understand as children of god there are commands that he gives both in his word and through his spirit that that we will not always understand but it is imperative it is important it is absolutely necessary that we follow his command and as a servant the only way forward is to obey the command of jesus and serving is not for wimps. When you serve somebody, truly serve somebody, it's not a, a, a wimpy thing to do. Have you ever held the door open for somebody in a moment and, and they walk by you and they act like you, you, you were paid to be there to do this favor for them? Like, like that was your job. It's what you're supposed to do. I, I can remember whenever we were at the mall one time and, and I was, uh, you know, my mom and dad, they raised me to be hopefully a gentleman and I, I, I try to be. And so I opened the door for Christy. In fact, sometimes Christy will walk up to a door and just stand there, especially if she's talking to me at the same time. And at times I have stood at the door with her and she's been talking to me and I've just been listening to her. And after about a few minutes of standing there, she'll look at the door and look at me and, uh, and, and I'll just start laughing and she'll suddenly realize that we've been standing at that door for two, three minutes while she's been talking to me. And, um, and she's really just wondering why I haven't opened the door for her already. And I'm wondering why she just takes, just takes it for granted that I'm going to open the door for her. But she does because that's typically what happens. She approaches the door and I reach in front of her and I open it up and usher her inside wherever we are going. It is my privilege as her husband to do that. But at the mall this day, I was standing there and I opened the door for her and I could hear behind us the clip-clop of a woman in heels making her way quickly towards the door and so I I held the door open and I stepped back and I waited for the lady that was clippity-clopping up the, the walkway to the doorway but when I looked back I realized that she was quite a distance back but the way the mall was the sound was echoing and so I and so I just waited and I just waited and she clippity-clopped herself all the way up to that door and finally she clippity-clopped right on into the door and right through the door and right on into the mall. And I had stood there for I don't know how long, but longer than was, quote, necessary, end quote. And she did not even look at me to acknowledge what I had done. And so what I wanted to say is, you're welcome, but I didn't. I didn't. Sometimes when you're a servant, your feelings can get hurt. 
Things don't, people don't respond the way that you hoped that they would. How about when you provide for those who don't recognize what you've done? When your kids stand at the refrigerator and hold the door open for 45 minutes while they look at a packed refrigerator and then announce to the world that there's nothing in here to eat. You're providing. Or wondering why something isn't the way that they want it to be. But it doesn't have to be your kids. It can be anyone. Anyone that you're you're able to go out of your way for in order to serve them and then they don't recognize it. It's one of the reasons why we feel it's so important to recognize the incredible people of Five Lakes Church who, who serve in every single area of ministry. It takes guts to be a servant. It takes guts to be a servant. It takes courage. And in our scriptural example here in the book of John, the servants heard the command of Jesus. Here's what he said. John chapter 2. Verses 6 through 8, it says, Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, Fill the jars with water. This is 20 to 30 gallons times 6. When the jars had been filled, that alone took a lot of work. He said, Now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So take it to the boss, if you will. Take it to the one in charge of the whole ceremony. Take it to the one that's leading the entire thing. Dip out the water and take it to the master of ceremonies so the servants followed his instructions. I want you to notice something. The servants are the hinge point on which this miracle relies. They couldn't control it and they couldn't understand it. But this miracle wouldn't be done without them in this moment. That's a critical piece. Because you may be the hinge point on which somebody's miracle depends. You're in a situation that you cannot control and from which you cannot escape. But the miracle that's going to happen in the situation depends on you. It depends on you serving your way through the crisis. Your obedience may be the only opportunity that your child ends up having. Your service, whatever it may be, in whatever kind of area, may be the hinge point on which someone else's financial outcome is dependent. Your service, your insight, your wisdom, what you bring to the table, it might be the thing that makes the difference in the situation for everyone involved. It could be that your service is the turning point to someone's salvation. God has called every one of us to preach his gospel. He's called every one of us to share his word. And maybe God has not called you to preach from a stage like what I do. Maybe he's not called you to preach into a camera like what I'm doing. Maybe he hasn't called you to those particular things. Maybe you even struggle to pray for one particular person or, or you get nervous talking about your faith with someone that you don't know. It could be that even meeting someone that you've never met before causes anxiety to rise up in you. But and maybe, maybe inviting somebody to church is kind of a hard thing for you to even consider. But you're, you're preaching Your preaching, your teaching may be done as you serve your way through the crisis. You're preaching a message through service. 
In fact, I think when I think about this, I think about people like, like Dennis Smith and Guy Au and, and Jeff Ballmer and, and Bill Combs and, and, and all the work that they've done around our church. They, they, they may not speak from a stage, but every single time they, they build something or repair something or paint something, they're preaching a sermon. They're preaching a sermon about excellence, honoring God. They're preaching a sermon about the kingdom of God being worth their time and their attention. They're, they're preaching a sermon that makes, is making a difference in people's lives. I'm thinking about Sherry Phillips, who has served as a leader in our member care team since I've been here and I know long before. And she serves with grace and humility. She, she serves with an honor and a respect. She, she has proven herself over and over again to be so trustworthy with information, and we honor her. She has preached more sermons than I probably have as she has ministered to people in the hospital and, and ministered to people through prayer and on the phone. I'm talking about someone who is serving her way into preaching the gospel. I'm thinking about Jeff Stamler who works behind the scenes doing more than anyone cares to even really understand. He, he, he's taking out gro uh, trash. He's, he's recycling all the cardboard that we go through. He's, he's ministering to people on many different ways. He, I've seen him working in the yard with his hands in the soil. Anything, everything, and nothing. I've, I've watched Jeff Stamler preach sermon after sermon about the importance of God's kingdom as he has served this faith family. In fact, I, I see people behind the lenses of this camera and in this room and online, people connected to this faith family who are, who are opening doors for people, greeting guests regularly, finding seats for people, ministering to children, teaching classes, caring for babies in the nursery, leading life groups, playing music, leading the, the, the singing and, 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 and playing the instruments and sanitizing the building and leading students and, and painting walls and, and taking out trash. I'm seeing people over and over that are willing to serve their way through the crisis. When COVID hit and, and we were no longer able to be on site for a little while. We didn't stop as a church. People continued to serve. We served our community. We served our faith family. We had people in the community serving over a thousand uh, grocery deliveries through Sauter's Market and, and partnering with them. And in our community at large, we, we saw people in this building regularly painting and, and, and fixing things up that had been uh, uh, kind of on the side sideline but now could be focused upon we watched as as god continued to use us for his glory our tech team my goodness they have taken us from from a very long way and brought us to where we are today what has been accomplished in our technology has been mind-blowing god has done amazing things as you and i and we as a faith family have served our way through a crisis and we're not stopped. We haven't stopped, and we won't stop. By following the Savior's call, we are changing someone's future. But here's a, a clear statement defining and describing servanthood. Servanthood combines strength and humility. Now, I, 
you, you might want to write this next phrase down. It combines strength and humility. But, but here's the phrase that I think encapsulates it all. A servant had to be humble enough to carry the water and strong enough to pour the wine. Humble enough to carry the water and strong enough to pour the wine. You see, humility is necessary because miracles usually involve common things. Common things. Anybody can carry water. A baby with a sippy cup can carry water from one place to another. But most people don't want to carry the water. They, they don't want to carry the water because carrying the water, that's, that's a common thing. That, that's why we don't know their names. That's why we don't know much about the servants. They're, just, they're identified as a group, not as an individual. Because, because they're, they're the unknown ones. They're, they're not doing anything important, really. They're just carrying water. And, I, and, and, and most, of us, most of us gravitate towards doing the spectacular thing. I cannot tell you how many people in my time of ministry, so many people have come to me and said, hey, God has called me to reach the nations for the kingdom of God. I, I just, I'm called to reach the nations. I'm called to sing to the nations, preach to the nations. I'm called to bring the gospel to the nations. And in all of this time, they are not willing to reach their neighbor with the gospel that they proclaim they're being called to preach to the nations. And if you said to them, hey, we're going to go to this foreign land and we're going to have this big conference and we want you to come do this thing, they would be on board 100%. But see, talking to the, nation, to the neighbor, that's common. Talking to the nations, that's spectacular. Talking to the neighbor is common. And I don't, I don't know, I'm not really called to the common, Pastor. I'm, I'm called to the uncommon. I'm called to the spectacular thing. But can I share this, that Consistency in the common allows access to the uncommon thing. If you, if you become consistent in the common thing, then you'll have access to the uncommon thing. For instance, you'll never write a big check to anyone if you don't learn to balance your checkbook. That's the common thing. But if you don't learn to manage your money, you'll never write the big check, which is the uncommon thing. You'll never, ever build a great, beautiful, thriving, profitable business if you don't do the common work of managing your assets every single day. You'll not produce a great ministry in life. You won't preach to any nations at all if you'll not do the common work of prayer and study and become accountable and become consistent. It won't happen. But here's the possibility. By saving every single month, by saving even just a little bit, you could stop scraping by in life and start paying cash for your cars, for your house, for vacations, just by saving a little bit. It's a common thing, but it gives you access to the spectacular thing. How about if you just be on time consistently? Then you'll build a reputation You'll be promoted within the company. Other opportunities will come your way. And you end up developing a resume that you could be proud of. 
If you'll humbly carry water at God's request, he will use you to carry a miracle. So humility is necessary because miracles usually involve common things. But strength is also necessary because you can see the impossibility you face. Anyone can carry water. (laughs) But not everyone has the capacity to knowingly operate in the miraculous Understand this, the servants knew that they were carrying water. They had dipped the water out of the big jars and they had poured it into the pitchers and they knew what they were carrying. They were walking to the master of ceremonies table with water in their jar. And what kind of strength did it take to know they had water in the jar and pour that water into the master of ceremonies cup knowing that he expected wine what kind of strength and courage did that take because we don't know when the miracle happened there's no record specifically of of if it happened when they poured it into the jug or if it happened on the way to the master's table or or if if they began to pour and it turned into wine as it fell from the jar into his cup or maybe they poured water into his cup and it didn't happen until he took the sip we don't know when it happened what we know is that the servants knew that they were pouring water into the cup that was expecting wine Are you able to offer everything you have knowing that it's not good enough? That it's not what someone's expecting? Write this down if you're taking notes that real strength isn't fighting when you know that you will win, but fighting because you know that you are right. Not just when you'll win, but knowing that you're right. And it takes real strength to know what you have is not enough, but to give it all anyway, to pour it all anyway. And if, if Christ is directing you, give it all you have. Give it everything you've got. Some have carried water for a long time, but they've never begun to pour. If the substance had remained in the jar or in the pitcher, then we don't know that the miracle would have ever occurred. It would have been possible, but not completed. It could have happened, but it didn't happen. So my encouragement today is pour what you have, whatever you have in your life. Mothers and fathers, pour what you have. Humility recognizes that you do not have everything that your child needs for their entire life to be successful and easy, but Courage says, pour what you have. Servanthood says, pour what you have. As a spouse, I know that I don't have everything that Christy really needs me to be. I don't possess enough within myself to be everything that she needs from a husband. My job, your job as a husband, is to pour what you have. Just take what you have and pour it. If you know God has has called you to that marriage and to that life and to that spouse, pour what you have as an employer you you don't have everything that every one of your employees needs but pour what you have servanthood says i will not withhold from you no i will pour into you what i have as an employee 
You know that you can't offer your employer everything that they need, but pour what you have. As Christ has given you, so you will give. Pour what you have. As a church attender, humility recognizes you don't have everything necessary to fulfill God's calling in your life. I know that I don't have everything necessary. So many of the things that God is calling Five Lakes Church to is beyond me, beyond my capacity, beyond my ability to create. But yet our responsibility, our job is to pour what we have. And somehow in the, in the majesty of, of who he is, God takes the little bit that we have. And as we begin to pour, suddenly water becomes wine. Suddenly the thing that wasn't becomes real, active, powerful. If Christ has called you, pour. Pour into kids. Pour into students. Lead a life group. You know you're carrying water. Don't let something else distract you. The direction from Christ has been given. The call for wine has been heard. The kids need it. The students need it. Our community needs it. The world needs what God has placed within your heart and within my heart. They need it. Do we have the humility needed to carry the water and the strength needed to pour the wine? We are a multi-generational, multicultural church, both physically and spiritually, where all believers mature and new believers are born. And wherever you are at on the journey of faith in your life, God is directing you. He's directing you, and we need you. We as the faith family here at Five Lakes Church, we as the body of Christ here in Sylvania and Toledo metro area, we need you. And souls are depending on you to pour what you have. In closing today, by paying, playing the part that they were called to serve, the, the servants became the delivering agents of a miracle. God was doing a miracle, but the servants were delivering the result of that miracle. A miracle requires people who know that they are doing something unreasonable, completely unrealistic, and absolutely impossible and yet are determined to obey the words of Jesus anyway. I'm going to repeat that. A miracle requires people who know they are doing something unreasonable, completely unrealistic, and absolutely impossible, yet are determined to obey the words of Jesus anyway humble enough to carry water strong enough to pour wine could God be calling you to deliver a miracle right now what's he asking you to do you might be looking around you saying no I I see an impossibility I see an issue here I see a situation there I see a problem well if if you've seen the problem you might be the one called to deliver the solution to the problem now you can do one thing you can choose to just close your eyes to all the issues say I don't see anything 
But you'd be lying to yourself and you'd be denying the call of God in your life. Or you can be the servant that God's called you to be. And you can pick up the water and start walking with it. See, my job is not to figure out how or why. My job is to obey the command that I've been given. I must must pick up the water no matter what I see. I must pour the wine no matter what I know. I must be strong enough to carry the water and to pour the wine. And in your life today, the beginning of that may be to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the first time. Or maybe you've walked away from him and you know it's time to come home. And so for the first time in a long time, you know he's calling you. And so I want to pray with you right now. And I'm going to ask that everybody online, on site, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. And if you know that God's calling you, maybe he's calling to pick up the water of salvation in your life right now. Then I'm encouraging you to take this step of faith. It's not going to be the words that save you. The words are needed, but it's the intention of your heart that makes the difference. So I'm asking you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, I love you. I believe that you lived, that you died, and that you rose again for me. Today I repent of my sins. And I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. And from this day forward, I am your child and you are my God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I praise the Lord for what he's doing in this house and what he's doing in your life. If you've, call, if you've carried water for a long time, but you know you've never had the courage to start pouring the wine, then I encourage you today, jump in, get involved, join a team, lead a life group, jump in with both feet, and let God use you to make a difference in this world, in his kingdom, and in someone's life. I thank you for what you're doing, Lord Jesus. Use us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.